Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 37 of Get the Flick Out of Here. Uh, I'm your host, Alex Plus. With me, as always, is Kate Elizabeth. Uh, Kate, last week we said, you know, we should do, we should, we should, we should, we, we should follow the zeitgeist. We should strike while that iron is hot. And we should watch Velma. And that turned out to be a colossal mistake. And they were like, well, maybe let's go back to the other thing we used to do, which is to review 30-year-old <laughs> movies. And, um, with, a, and I, with a mad scientist element. We cannot get well, away from a no, mad scientist no, no, element. No, can't get away from a mad scientist. <laughs> this has got to be there. Um, uh, yeah, but I... I think I think we, I think we we made a good choice here, um, uh, at least for the entertainment value. Um, we are reviewing Gremlins Two: The New Batch, starring G.I. Zmo, a real Maguayan hero. <laughs> now you know that knowing is half the battle. If you are battling Gremlins in uh, downtown high rise, um, it's. Uh, <laughs> Gremlins, Gremlins one, I think more people are familiar with. It's it's a classic. It's an incredibly original thing. Came out in eighty four, eighty five. Um, uh, small, sleepy New England town taken over by creatures, and the 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 there's a there's starts out with a mogwai, very mm-hmm. cute little furry thing with big ears. Um, and there's three rules. You can't Don't get them. Don't talk wet. about them. Well, no, well, well, wrong no, that's, that's, that's fine. Sorry, well. apologies. It's very similar. It's a very similar <laughs> feel to it. It's true. Yep. Um, but uh, no. So first of all, uh, sunlight kills them instantly, and they hate any kind of bright light. Okay, so keep them away from that. Two, you um you can't um you can't get them wet because they'll multiply. Um, which is a weird thing, but apparently that's the rule. And then the third one is you, you can't feed them after midnight because if they do, they will, they, that's when they metamorphose in from these cute little furry things into evil, slightly larger green slimy things with big teeth that are gremlins. They want to destroy boils on their back in the process. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, so those are those are the things. Uh, then, what the 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 main character of the first one is is a is a is a a, a young man named Billy Peltzer, who is um, who is freshly out of college and working as a bank teller. But what he, want, what he wants to do is is like be a graphic designer. But they didn't have graphic designers back then. You would just like draw things on a big piece of paper. Um, and anyway, so so he he's the main character. His dad, who is an inventor, gets him a mogwai from a weird Chinese curio shop, um, and uh, and gives it to him. Of course, all the rules are immediately broken, mostly because of Corey Feldman, um, which happens in most movies. And uh, then, so everything goes haywire, and they have to fight all the um, the gremlins um, uh, in their small town. Um, there's also, uh, Phoebe Cates, who is Willie Pel- Billy Peltzer's, um, girlfriend, uh, in the first one, the, the scene that has become part of, I believe, American folklore at this point is the scene where she explains why she hates Christmas. 
which is which is the saddest <laughs> monologue anyone's ever written or delivered in the history of film, that her father wanted to surprise them one one Christmas by coming down the chimney dressed as Santa, and he slipped, and he broke his neck, and was stuck in the chimney. And the only way they found this out is that his body started to decompose and they smelled their dead father in the chimney. They thought it was a bird, but they looked up there and it wasn't a bird, it was dad. Um, and it's the saddest thing ever. And it is, it is, it comes so far out of left field in a movie about like, hey, let's let's fight these troublemaking green things. <laughs> no, wait, I want to take a side note and tell you about the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody ever. Um and, she uh, was great in this too. Like oh, in the yeah, scene yeah. and in the whole movie, she was like right. so fantastic, especially considering yeah. the world that she was operating right. in. Um, so so there so those are the things eventually they are able to destroy all the bad guys. Uh Gizmo's the only one that never actually turns to become evil. Um, and they take him back to the Chinese old man at the curio shop and give him back because because you're, you're, no one can really truly uh, care for one of these things because something's going to go wrong. So that's the end of the first movie, 1985-ish, right? So 1990s when the sequel is, which we're, we're talking about here. Um, so it's been five years. They're living in New York now. Um, uh Billy is like part of the design team at a, at a huge. Um, gosh, I don't know how to describe it because it doesn't. It can't. He can't. The the bad the bad guy. He's not a bad guy. He's actually one of the good guys. Um, the 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 billionaire Daniel Clamp, who runs Clamp Incorporated or whatever, um, is the first ever tech bro without actually tech being involved in any way. Felt very uh, Ted Turner, Donald Trump parody y, like very. Right. Um, he's he overseeing perfect, the networks. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's a perfect, he, he was supposed to be a perfect conglomeration of Ted Turner, who's the cable, cable billionaire, and Donald Trump because he's a, he's a land developer in, in New York. Uh, and he's also not Donald Trump. He's Daniel Clamp. Right. So it's obvious. The pro- Here's the thing. Looking back on it now, who this guy actually is a parody of is Elon Musk. That's who this guy is actually a parody of. But they didn't know who Elon Musk was at the time. Of course. Nobody like Elon Musk even existed. But the fact is that he is the in charge of a huge company. And he has no idea how any of the shit works. So he's he's the, he's the brilliant genius behind everything, but he's entirely clueless about all of Anything. it. Anything, yep. And that's Elon Musk. Um, uh, I'm going to get kicked off of Twitter now, but I mean it's true. <laughs> uh, so so anyway, th- we start off with the the little the, the, a developer who's coming into Chinatown to buy up everything. Uh, Robert Picardo is. Forrester, he's like the right hand man of Daniel Clamp, and um, he comes in. They bring in a TV and a VCR or something, um, and uh, <laughs> they put it in the middle of the, the little tiny Chinese curio shop, 
and push play on it. And it's it felt very much like uh, Ed Begley Jr. in uh, Santa with muscles. Like I will here's the I won't come anywhere near you, but I'll give the TV of me, with me on it talking to you uh, to tell you that uh, your life is over. Um, but I says um, I I understand um, uh, how uh, how you must be so attached to your business. I'm very attached to my business. You sell little teeny tiny things, and I make giant things. But that's the only difference between us. We're obviously the same people. So I'm, I've decided to increase my offer like tenfold. So you'll the because he wants to like change the the China like Chinatown in New York to like a huge uh, development thing for business and all this kind of stuff. And he was going to call it Clamps Chinatown something. I forget what he's going to call it, but then he, but the the slogan is perfect for the late '80s. Where business is oriented, <laughs> get it? Because the Orient. Uh, um, I will. Show, I should say also, Daniel Clamp is played by John Glover, who was one of my all-time favorite late '80s character actors. Great, he he's bas- great in this. He's basically playing uh, the same uh, character that he plays in Scrooged, um, but it's it's so good, I'll forgive it. Because it's 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 exactly what it's supposed to be. Um, the little old man says no, and um, but he has a terrible cough. And Forrester, as he's leaving, says, "All we have to do is wait. We'll just die, and then we'll take his we'll take his stuff." Uh, and that's what happens. This is like like uh, four months later, or whatever. He's dead. Um, and uh, they instead of like taking all the stuff out of it and like I don't know trying to sell it or whatever, they just bulldoze the entire building with, with Gizmo still inside. Yes. Um, and, uh, and he, um, he's able to escape and hide in an alley for about four and a half seconds before random people are there. Um, and a, a, a guy picks it up and is like, if you, uh, if you want to find something weird, just go downtown and picks up Gizmo, and we don't see him for a while. Gizmo is in very little of this movie. Yes, like if you look at like the runtime of like the scenes that he is in, he's in maybe uh, maybe a fifth of the runtime of this movie. But he's he's the star, baby. He's um, the guy, it, it, and it's it is funny because they talk about later in a very self referential way about all the money they're going to make merchandising Gizmo. Um, but he's not really in the film. <laughs> Again, here's what we should talk about. I was gonna say this kind of hints at like maybe the overall Joe allegory da- of this Joe, whole thing. Yes, Joe Dante, who directed the first one and went on to direct my favorite movie, which we've talked about here, The Burbs, um, as well as other things. Uh, a, a, a very a brilliant mind in directing. Um, they wanted him to do. A sequel he said no no I, I i we did the movie the movie ends perfectly there's no reason to do a sequel um it's just a cash grab you know it's just a cash grab i'm not going to be a part of your little little cash grab and they're like fine we'll find somebody else to be a part of our little cash grab and um we own the rights not you so we're gonna do it and um uh they tried a bunch of times uh they had they were in pre-production a few times all these different ideas for how to do it 
um, different directors, different screenwriters, all this stuff never came to work. Never, never worked out. So they're like, fine, this is not going to work unless we get Joe Dante on board. So they backed up a gigantic dump truck full of money to his house and said, um, you can have complete creative control on this. Whatever you want to do with this movie, that's what we'll do. Because we are so desperate somehow to make millions of dollars off of little tiny gizmo stuffed animals that we must make this movie. Uh, and he said, complete creative control? Is that what you said? Okay, cool. Let's do it. Um, and he went about, I believe, and this is the this is the allegory that we're talking about here, systematically destroying his own legacy with this with the first movie as a troll job to the producers who wanted to make a sequel. He actually sets out to make, and I think fully succeeds at making, uh, a parody of the first one as a sequel to the first one. And also a parody of all other kinds of things. Um, there's so many parodies of different kinds of television and stuff because there's a cable news network that cable network that runs out of there. Um, a parody of all kinds of monster movies, um, uh, just all kinds of archetypes and stereotypes and tropes and everything, all put together. And he does it in a way that is um, that is brilliant, but also poking fun at his own masterwork that came out five, six years earlier. It's crazy. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a parody of itself. And it's also a parody of the unnecessary sequel, which I think this was when this came out kind of in the yep. midst of a oh, yeah. sequel heavy time, whether a movie warranted one or not. It almost reminded me there were parts of this that were so, self-effacing that it reminded me of when we talked about team America and um, how they did that one scene that was just a big F you to the, the FCC because they were like, this, this puppet sex is too sexual. And they went back mm -hmm. and made it a million times worse as like, mm -hmm. and then it got approved because mm -hmm. they never actually read it. It, it had the, a similar read to me and a lot of pieces of this, but what mm -hmm. was funny was I like to, for movies I haven't seen yet and were, like in this time period, I really like to go look at other people's takes on them, like other people's mm -hmm. reviews before and after I watch them. And there were some people that were like, this was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then there were people that were like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. So it definitely went over some people's heads because like, this is um, without abandon, like mostly a lot of gags, but they're wrapped up in this framework of a complete satire on itself. So yeah. it's if you miss the overarching thing here, it of course it falls flat because it's mostly just a bunch of gags. <laughs> but yeah. I I loved it. I, I thought it was it was a lot of fun. It it got long at parts, but like for overall, when you are familiar with the backstory and you can kind of see what he was really going after, like even this idea of them taking over the city, like how many this thing we did now it's happening in the city it's such mm -hmm. like a fantastic thing all the horror movies that happen in the city too like just a, right, a like, lot of a lot of fun things here right like without without a, like it could not possibly have known that um when it was making uh, fun of the idea like it is making fun of a bunch of movies that came out decades after it like yeah. it is parodying like, 
I don't know, man. I stopped watching the Jurassic Park movies, but I know one of the most recent ones, like the the not only do they get off the island, they're everywhere. Dinosaurs are everywhere, taking over the taking over the world. And they're like, well, you can keep it. But um uh yeah, like that kind of whole thing of like what would happen if instead of being localized to this very small place, they went everywhere and um the actual one of the original pitches was to have the gremlins literally take over New York City, but they realized that was going to be too expensive. So they decided to do it all localized in a giant um, uh, skyscraper. Um, but uh, so Joe Dante decided to basically screw with with everything and, and come up with the most ridiculous things he possibly could. Um, and one of the other things he satirized was the, the impending technological changes that were that were happening like the idea of video calls and stuff being being prevalent like you would you would call from one floor to another in this giant building and you'd be able to have like basically you basically do facetime but you'd have to actually hold the receiver to your ear because nobody could conceive of like any of these other kinds of, of this, things essentially, right yeah the i like hey what if you could do a phone call but there'd be a pe- person on a four inch screen in front of you like, but it, they didn't change anything else around it. Um, but I also love that there's there's that there's the the elevators. Um, there's the fact that there's a guy on a loudspeaker telling you very sanitized version of things, and also very snarky things. Like, and this is like this is why it feels so much like um, like airplane uh, or Naked Gun or whatever. Is that the idea of like there's there's the scene in airplane where they're walking through. Um, uh, the airport and there's the the person on the intercom who's just doing like verbal gags about stuff without actually being a part of the scene and that's the same way here where there's um uh all it is, all we need to see is Phoebe Cates who also works at this high rise as a tour guide uh she's walking to an elevator and you hear on the intercom the intercom guy go uh uh with the person who owns the car, license number KL5442, please report to the parking garage and move your vehicle. It is old and ugly. That just gives me airplane vibes of when they're doing that scene by the curb drop off, and she's like, yeah. We know what this is about. You want me to have an abortion. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very, very similar. Very mm-hmm. similar vibes. Um, but all of that is so great, and all of the stuff in this skyscraper, it doesn't really work properly because nobody got the bugs out of it. And what does that remind you of going on right now with with Elon Musk's stuff? Like, hey, let's change this around. But oops, we totally bro- broke the code for everything else that's going on. Let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. We'll try this again. Oh, hey, by the way, we're gonna just. We got self-driving cars now. Hackable really? self-driving cars. Sure. Self-driving cars. And it's great because when you when they crash, inevitably, all the doors lock and you're locked in a fiery inferno. But it's totally fine because it's the future. Like that's the 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 amount of like um oh I also everyone who works in that building worships Daniel Clamp. Yes. They worship him, even though when he shows up and walks around, he obviously has no clue what the fuck is going on. No. Everybody just go about your business. I'm going to stand around and pretend like I know what's happening. 
Um, like there's a point where where because Billy uh has okay, so the people who pick up Gizmo are people who work in a genetics lab inside this skyscraper. It is the skyscraper is has apartments in it. Um, it has uh it has businesses that run 24 hours a day. So the place never shuts down. So there's a nightclub and an all-night food court on one of the floors. Like the offices that are there that run clamps development, uh, business, real estate development stuff, they shut down for the night, but the nightclub opens up. So he's always got a stream of revenue coming through this, this giant um, skyscraper. So anyway, um, there's a genetics lab that's, that's in there as well. He says, I knew there was there were going to be a problem tenant. We could have had two plastic surgeons and, and, and I don't know what the hell it was, something else in there, an electrolysis lab. And But no, you said this would be much better. Um, anyway, uh, these two twins who w- were fairly ubiquitous in movies at the time, uh, rotund, red hair, mustache, um, uh, they uh, are um, working the lab and Christopher Lee... Um, the old horror actor who we're going to go on then to play Saruman and Count Dooku later in the 90s and early 2000s um, is Dr. Catheter, which is just, again, an entirely made up parody name. Like, like you, that's not a serious name you give to a character. You do that because you think it's a funny na- sounding name and it fits a doctor thing. Um, he's very excited because he's supposed to be getting in a new shipment of diseases that he can test on animals. He's not a very nice man. Um, yeah. uh, but, uh, but there's a, uh, a delivery guy who shows up to deliver the stuff. Um, and uh, Julius Sweeney, who was like a year, maybe two years away from being on Saturday night live um, plays the receptionist who's allergic to everything in the lab. I don't know if that was in the script, but I love that that's, that's the choice for oh, her. So good. Just sneezing constantly and just, uh, yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll sign for that for you. Oh, it's great. Um, uh, but anyway, the, the, the delivery guy can hear the one sound that Gizmo always makes where he like, he like whistles almost in a very high pitched hum says the little thing that he does um and so he's on another floor making another delivery right by billy pelter who hears it and immediately recognizes it as gizmo i was like where did you hear that um i was on the 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 lab somebody was humming it in uh, floor 38 or whatever and so billy pelter just says oh it's not a coincidence this must be Gizmo in the lab. I will go rescue him. And of course, it is Gizmo, and he's able to rescue him. Um, and he is able to talk to Gizmo, who does not speak, <laughs> about why he's there. It's like, oh, Gizmo, hey, you're wearing a black armband. And yes, indeed, Gizmo is wearing a black armband. Oh, is that for the kindly old Chinese man who was your caretaker? Did he die? Well, I'm sorry, there's no way you would see a black armband wrapped around Gizmo and immediately jump to that and then say, "Did he, is that what happened? Did he die? And Gizmo would be like, yeah, you're right. He totally yep. did. It was, it was it. tragic, actually. He was sick for a long time. He's in a better place now. Like, there's, there's no conversation that you're having there with the Mogwai. It's just not possible. But this movie says, yes, it happened. And we are not allowed to argue with it because the movie is a parody. 
Right. If the movie took itself, itself seriously, we could argue with it and say how stupid it is, but we're not allowed to because this movie is a parody and that's the secret sauce. All of the stuff that happens is completely off the wall, zany, wacky, could never possibly happen. Like, yeah, everything about, Grim- about it that's unjustified is justified by the fact that it's a parody. Like, it's, <laughs> it, there's a lot of stuff that, yeah. Un- a normal viewing experience, you'd be like, well, that's inconsistent or that doesn't work. And they're like, yes, we know. <laughs> well, 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 we'll say like, well, that breaks all laws of physics and it doesn't matter. Um, the thing is that the first movie, as fantastical as it is, that these beings from another planet, a lost civilization or whatever, um, even exist and then can be multiplied through water, killed via direct sunlight, and then metamorphose if they eat too late at night that's all fantastical but it's a if you put a fantastical element inside the real world kingston falls a sleepy new england town actually exists like not not the the name of the town i'm saying like a town like that exists in the real world and you take something fantastical and put it in there and it still has to behave by the rules of the world right so we can we can look at that and go, okay, all the rules around the gremlins may be kind of wonky, and we have to kind of accept them because they're brand new. But uh, uh, in that world, if cars could suddenly fly, we'd be alone. Like that's that's that stupid. Doesn't work. That, that, that yeah. doesn't work because you're living in the real world. They've decided the, the the sequel is a parody. So in a parody, anything can happen. Anything flies. Yeah, and that's why it, that's why it's so such a brilliant choice to make it a parody. Um, he is able to get Gizmo out of the lab in his weird little stealth mission that he does. Um, but he takes him upstairs and puts him in a desk, a, desk a, a, a filing cabinet drawer. And that's when Daniel Clamp shows up. And and Gizmo keeps opening the, the drawer from the inside. And Daniel Clamp keeps looking at it. It's like, what is that? Oh, it's a self-opening door. It, op- it opens every so often in case you need something. And Daniel Clamp goes, oh, did, when did we put those in? Like he has, like like he has zero idea what's going on. Like the notion of a self opening door oh, yeah. is just yeah. so perfect yeah. and um, such a good device of like could let anything in or out, right? Mm-hmm. And clamp like to me that almost felt like a parody on the situation that the director was in of like this guy just throws money at stuff, right? Like you said, Elon Musk, but I'm also like this director was like, here's a bunch of money, you have full creative control. To me, this feels like that guy is the execs of like right i i don't really know what's going on but i'm throwing stuff at it or whatever mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm throwing resources at it and i'm taking credit like that mm-hmm. feels so like what he was given as <laughs> the yeah. thing but so much fun in, in a world where you're also supposed to be doing like groundbreaking stuff and he doesn't even know like mm-hmm. that you've been stored you've installed self-opening doors yeah yeah um Mm. Um, there's, um, there's a, uh, um, so anyway, um, Marla, who is a wonderful caricature of a human being, um, uh, it's, 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 uh, fiery red hair, glasses, uh, always smoking a Virginia Slim with some lipstick on the filter, um, 
Uh, hello, Billy. How are you? No, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's, listen, my entire life is over. Would you like to come over for dinner? Like, she's she's a very, very interesting person. And I also, I thought, played fantastically by Haviland. Her first name is Haviland something. But I, I don't great. recall her seeing her in anything else. But she was very, very good in this role. But anyway, she... A um, scene stealer. She, like, yes, one of those, yeah. She, yeah, she's... um. She's a she's a, a, a corporate climber. She wants she wants very badly to, to become like a, a huge vice president thing. So she's gonna uh, hitch her. Uh, she's gonna ride the coattails of Billy, who's really impressed Daniel Clamp with his drawing of what he wants to do with the the Chinatown project. Um, and so um, she's basically like going to uh, seduce her way into Billy's life, so that when he goes up the ladder, he pulls her with him. Um, so, so she says, let's go, let's do dinner. We're, we're going to go do dinner and we're going to, we're going to go to this wonderful Canadian place. They clean the fish right at your table. Uh, and he's like, that sounds great. Um, so he doesn't, he, because he's an idiot, he doesn't recognize that, uh, until it's too late that she's hitting on him. He, he thinks it's actually a, cause he wants to move up too, cause they live in a tiny little apartment and they want to start a family and they want to get married, but they don't have any money. Um, so he wants to move up in the, in the corporate ladder as well and thinks that she is his ticket up. So that's why she agrees to go to dinner with her instead of his fiance, uh, Phoebe Cates. But he says to Phoebe Cates, you got to go and get gizmo out of, um, out of this drawer in my, in my cubicle. And this is where we first start the whole, the, the, she, she remembers, uh, all the, all the rules. Like, like she, she remembers them, but she does not like Gizmo because she remembers what happened last time. And so she remembers the rules, but she doesn't remember what Gizmo looks like. Because, crucially, Gizmo gets out of the drawer because he's a bad little mogwai. And he's walking around, and John Astin is playing a janitor. John Astin is the first guy to play Gomez Adams, the original TV show. And he's fixing a drinking fountain that is squirting water um, not far enough. So he cranks it all the way up, and it squirts water onto this thing, trickles down, and lands on Gizmo, dun, dun, and dun. He, he got wet! And so, boop, 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 um, uh, he, he, they create uh, four new uh, Mogwai. Um, they are uh, Mohawk, so named because of his Mohawk. Correct. And then the, the three that I call Larry, uh, like I, Mo and Mo, Larry, and Curly. Like they're absolutely a Three Stooges knockoff. There's the one that's more dour and in charge. There's the crazy one, and there's the dumb one. And like, this is basic. That's exactly who they are. They they, rep- they even have a slapstick thing where they're punching each other all the time. Yes, they're, he basically put the Three Stooges in in gremlin form. Gremlin form. It is. Yeah. It's perfect. Um. So they torture uh, Gizmo and throw him into a into a ventilation shaft. And then three of them go away and, and do, you know, bad things. And one of them sticks around, the crazy one with the googly eyes. And um, he is uh, playing with art supplies and everything. And then he climbs up on top of a model of, like, the Empire State Building. So when Phoebe Cates shows up, she sees crazy one and says to, to, to him, um, oh, hi, Gizmo. I, now, Billy told me to, to bring you home, so that's what I'm going to do. Like, that's not Gizmo. I mean, it's been, I know it's been, like, five, six years, but that's not Gizmo. Um, so she brings him home, um, and, uh, manages to get him fed before midnight, which is important. 
Um, and uh, uh, meanwhile, the other three guys, they go down to the frozen yogurt bar, which is right outside of the nightclub. And after midnight, they eat a bunch of toppings. Uh, there's a guy who is in um, the scene in the yogurt bar, who is the uh, one of the guys who works behind the counter. Um, and that is played by the character, the, the, the actor Jason Presson. Jason Presson was in uh, Joe Dante's movie Explorers about um, three, four, three kids. Three kids that go to space. They somehow build uh, a spaceship and go to space. It's a really cool coming-of-age movie from the mid-'80s um, with River Phoenix and Ethan Hawke play the other two kids. And Jason Presson uh, plays his other kid in the, in the movie and really didn't go on to do anything else. But Joe Dante loved working with him so much, he called him. He hadn't worked in years and said, would you like to be in this, this a small part in, in my movie? And that's what Joe Dante does with his with the people that he works with. I, I love that about Joe that's Dante. That's awesome. Um, so he's a very small part. He did that he's with Gizmo, that, too. He was like, yeah. you were in this movie forever yes. ago. Do you want to be in this? <laughs> hey, G, how's it going? Yeah, it's Joe. Um, I was just, I was just thinking, we were talking, uh, getting the band back together. I got this part that would be perfect for you. I got this part that would be perfect for you. Um, You don't even have to audition. No, you don't. Um, they just told me I could do whatever I want. Full creative (laughs) control. So I'm the casting director. I'm doing this. Um, uh, so, um, Billy's date with Marla, his boss at the at the Canadian restaurant, which is great because they're, they're in a booth, but part of the booth is like a grizzly bear that is like right here. So in order to talk to somebody who's sitting at the other part of the booth, you have to like look around the grizzly bear head. Like <laughs> it is, again, it's a, it's a parody of the thing that was happening at the time where like restaurants that everybody talked about would, would like spring up and be, you couldn't get a table at all for like six months. And then they went under like that. And they were always like, it's this really great fusion between Norwegian food and sushi. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, so like a Canadian restaurant where the whole – where they clean the fish at your table makes perfect sense as in the parody version of it. And, of course, the waiter is dressed up like, like a Mountie. And he comes up, would you like to try our dessert? It's our favorite. It's the chocolate mousse. Could I cut you an antler, sir? It's just a big sculpted – like a chocolate bunny for Easter, but it's a mousse. It's the chocolate mousse. Like, again, it's a stupid gag, but it works because this movie has decided itself. We are stupid. We are doing as many stupid things as possible. It is a, it is a, uh, how many gags can we cram into each minute of film movie? Yes. And I think it totally works on that, on that thing. That Um, chocolate mousse thing where you had said, like, airplane, that was what that, like, stuff like that was very, surely you can't be serious. Like, that felt very, (laughs) very much. Very much yeah. in that world. Um, the uh, anyway, so so when Billy gets back to the apartment, he's got some lipstick on his face because Marla insisted on kissing him goodbye, and Billy didn't. I guess didn't check. Like this is a woman who you know wears a lot of lipstick, and she kissed you on the face, and you went home without like checking the mirror or something. Come on. Um, it anyway, is like disheveled so, too. Yes, Phoebe Cates is knows that something's up because uh, he broke off her date and he saw uh, him leaving with his with his boss. 
who she knows is, you know, whatever. So, so like, if we if we survive tonight, you're in big trouble. That's what she says later in the film. Um, uh, but she's anyway, she's at um, home taking care of the kid, Gremlin. I know exactly <laughs> the child, Gremlin. Um, so as soon as Billy gets it, this is not Gizmo. I don't know what you're doing. Let's let's. He's not mad at her. Let's just let's go back, and we're gonna find Gizmo. Um. So uh, as soon as he gets there, they realize that there are, there are other Mogwai slash Gremlins. Um, oh no! It's it's uh, there was a thing in the toppings of the of the a thing a furry thing. It was disgusting. Um, and they look at the, the clock. It's after midnight, and they've eaten. What are we gonna do? Well, here's what we gotta do. We're gonna go, and we're gonna shut down the water in the entire building. Uh, so he goes and he finds it, and he's gonna attack it with an axe. But of course, they have a perfect security system, so they find him and they send up a security guard, played by Rick Dukeman from uh, from from the Burbs. And every time I watch this, I think to myself, "That's so awesome that Joe Dante put him in it." But Joe Dante should have made the part bigger. Like Rick Dukeman yeah. was so good in the Burbs, which come out like the, the year before this, and like the the security guard who thinks he's basically Clint Eastwood. Like, he thinks he's Dirty Harry. Um, he's like, hey, you, come on, kid. Let's go. Uh, I'm taking you downtown. But, like, he's the uh, the type of guy who thinks that about himself, but also is a bumbling idiot. Correct. Um, In no way. Like and tries, tries to use his machismo to, like, outthink the gremlins who are ahead of him at every turn. That guy's a great guy to have along for the entire ride of your right, movie. Yeah. But instead, he's got one scene where um, where he stops him from hacking at it with a with an axe and steals. Um, oh, they find Gizmo. No, they don't find Gizmo yet. That's right. He has Crazy Gremlin in uh, Crazy Mogwai in his uh, in his in his little satchel. Um, Billy does so. Then he takes the satchel. Like I wouldn't look in there if I were you. Yeah, but you ain't me, are you? Flips it open. Looks inside and uh, and it, t- it bites part of his nose off, <laughs> and then runs away as the guy shoots at it. The security guard shoots at it and says, "We got to stop him before he eats something." He already ate something. I'm taking you downtown, kid. You're crazy. You're crazy. Uh, so then uh, Billy gets arrested, and Phoebe Case has to bust him out of jail at like six in the morning. And so they've been they've been running around. For six hours, they oh they they ate, so now they're metamorphosing into yes. the evil things. It's been six hours, which is a, honestly in a movie that's all about gags and stuff like that. It's a very clever way to like make the time pass. Yes, it, like, like you have to make the time pass for some. There's a reason why they weren't able to find them during these six hours because Billy was in jail. Honestly, that's a pretty decent way of doing things. But also, they're metamorphosing, so they can't now become. They can't get. Be, there can't be more of them, right? There is like such a fine line of the rules you can break in a parody. I feel like because it still has to feel like a movie. Yep. But you're allowed to break the world in your the rules of your own world in some ways. But like things like that, like the time passing, it at least you can't break the rules that keep the story on track, I guess. Like right. it's, it's tricky. It's tricky, but that, that's a really good call of like, it did justify the time passing. Yeah. Um, so they are able to, um, to get him back into the building. But even though he was arrested there and he goes to the security office and says, oh, so you, even though you arrested nice that last night, you decided to come back. What, what great, <laughs> work ethic um 
And uh, like he tries to explain to everyone working in the security offices what the rules are. And they have all the questions that somebody like me would have about rules. Like, okay, wait a minute. So um, what if uh, they eat something like a bagel or whatever at like 10 p.m.? So it's totally fine. But a caraway seed gets stuck in their teeth and they swallow it after midnight. Now, he didn't technically eat it before midnight, but after midnight, but he kind of did. I mean, does, would that work? Oh, what if they eat something on a plane and cross time zones? I mean, what happens there? And that uh, is long enough for the uh, for the evil gremlins to come out and attack them, which is great, or at least Mohawk to do it. Um, the, uh, the Three Stooges are um have decided to infiltrate a cooking show called called microwave with marge um where it's like this this dish used to take five hours in uh, in in the oven but now with a microwave oven it takes 12 minutes <laughs> just there was uh, this great short series when youtube was like kind of first swelling up as a thing called mm-hmm. my drunk kitchen <laughs> It was just this girl making really unimpressive foods while she was drunk mm-hmm. of just like a uh, girl's cheese or whatever. And that <laughs> kind of reminded me of this because it was just like, it was just a praise of the use of the microwave as a really fun idea in, in this, especially yeah. for such a advanced technology world. They were just like, look at the microwave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, they throw bunch of um, metal utensils and pots into the microwave and turn it on high and it explodes and there's a fire and so the sh- the sprinkler system turns on which of course then makes the multi- multiply seven several hundred times over um, uh, there is a um, I, I I believe it is a parody of the way that this group is treated in other films, but it may also just be a thing that they did in the eighties anyway, because they had no other gag, but Getty Watanabe um, plays Mr. Katsuji, who is a uh, Japanese tourist who just has cameras like on them all the time, taking pictures. And I don't, I, I choose to believe Joe Dante is doing a send up of this trope and how stupid it is, but he may just be doing the trope because that's what he did as a common trope. Then, yeah. yeah, it's just a thing. <laughs> You did, just did it. That was the joke. Um, uh, but um, but there's also Robert Prosky, who is fully ubiquitous in uh, the late 80s, early 90s. Mrs. Doubtfire, Last Action Hero. Um, well, there's another one, too, I'm forgetting. Uh, but uh, he's this very uh, sweet old grandpa-type character. And uh, he... Uh, is a guy who runs a like a we're going to show old scary movies at 3 a.m. TV show on this cable um, network, and uh, and so he always wanted to be Walter Cronkite. Like he got into broadcasting because that's what he wanted to do, but instead he's you know showing you know scary movies at 3 a.m. Um, but he realizes being in the building while this is going crazy that he's going to be, this is his big break. So he hi- so he basically gets uh, Getty Watanabe to be his cameraman, and they're going to film everything and, and do reports on it. Um, uh, so that's that's going there. Oh, also uh, Dick Miller, who was Murray Futterman in the first movie, he was attacked by the by the gremlins but survived. 
they do a thing where now he's got PTSD about all that, and he's just getting over it five years later. So he's going to take a vacation to the city and um, and uh, you know get over his whole thing at Gremlins. Too bad. But he and his wife are there. So that's another thing. So now um, they break into the genetics lab, the, the, the gremlins do, and they start drinking potions and stuff. Because like you do. One of them is a vegetable medley, which turns him into a vegetable gremlin. It's just a, it's just a gremlin who's got vegetables growing out of him. That's basically all it is. Um, uh, one of them... Um, Turns himself into pure electricity, which feels like that's that's where you're breaking the laws of physics. I don't know how that works, but it's very crucial to the end of the film. Um, so he just bounces around everywhere and goes into the electrical wires or whatever. Oh, at one point, uh, this is when Belly shows up. Billy shows up, not Belly. Billy shows up to the uh, Belly puns. Shows up to the um, uh, to the to the genetics lab and enlists the help of Dr. Catheter, Christopher Lee, to try and kill these things. So um, he uh, he has a gun locker with all kinds of like guns in it. And before before Christopher Lee can shoot all of the all of the um, all of the gremlins, he is electrocuted by electricity gremlin because of course he is. Um, and uh, but also um, uh, he, there's one a gremlin that uh, drinks. Um, uh, brain hormone is what they call it. I trust that's not the brain hormone that creature is drinking. Uh, and he becomes super smart. And uh, he has the voice of Tony Randall from The Odd Couple. Phenomenal. And he, when Just he wears glasses. so phenomenal. Oh uh, my and, god. Uh, and he becomes the, the de facto star of this movie. Like if you see uh, press clippings and stuff from the time, any of the like any any photos or anything, like the most famous part of Gremlins 2 is is the very smart Gremlin. And honestly, like that was the guy I think they could have spun off into a third Gremlin movie is this Gremlin, the smart one who has strategy and can like and can direct his minions to do whatever. Because um he is he is very smart, has all these really highfalutin he went to Yale. This Gremlin absolutely went to Yale. Um uh but at one point he's like he he recognizes how smart this is. Um, he sees that one of the um, um, one of the gremlins has drank bat hormone or whatever, and 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 immediately because that's how genetics work. If yeah, you drink a potion, you immediately become the thing. That's how that works. So uh, so a gremlin basically becomes a, a bat hybrid, and then he takes genetic sunblock, which is the thing that exists, and ejects it directly into the neck. Of the bat creature, the brain, the brain gremlin does this, and he says, uh, um, "This uh, was developed for our nocturnal friends to allow them to move freely during the day. But for you, now you can take over the take over the town." Um, and so he injects them with it, and they break out a window, and out flies the bat gremlin. The bat gremlin just so happens to attack Murray Futterman, the PTSD guy from the first movie, who is able to thwart him. By grabbing it by the legs and throwing it into a, a, a puddle of, of wet, fresh cement, uh, where it then is able to extricate for itself from there and fly up to a, a tower on a an old church and turn into a gargoyle, which I thought was a really cool visual, but also ultimately like, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. 
There was a lot. One of them actually got out. One of them did. Yes. There's more than enough sunblock to genetic sunblock to put in the necks of, I don't know, at least a dozen others. Like there's like there's not an infinite supply, but you could have sent out there's 12 other ones. Um, um, I think the reason you had to be a a bat is because he had to fly because they were way up high in, in the sky. You couldn't like send out ones that couldn't fly out of that window you broke. So that's why you had to do it that way. But you could have like figured out a way. Okay. So, hey, uh, I'm going to need 12 volunteers, says the brain gremlin. Come with me. You carry this, carry this um, sunblock stuff. Don't drop it. And you uh, carry the lion um, genetic material and the grizzly bear genetic material and the, the shark that can walk on land genetic material. <laughs> and let's all meet down in the lobby. And then like at this point, the brain gremlin, I think, was not thinking big enough. That's all I'm going to say. That's very um, true. Did Tony uh, Randall do a bunch of voiceover work after this? Because like he should have. Oh, it was, was, it was so, he was already doing it, but yeah, no, he was so good at that. Like, just fantastic. Like, what it adds to that gremlin is unbelievable. And I also like that that gremlin is also um, kind of personal. He's he's talking to people. He wants civilization, just like everybody mm-hmm. does. Like, it's a it's a really um, considering it's gremlins. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a pretty rich character because it's the only one that doesn't have like a perfunctory blend of something like him being the mastermind of them. It it makes Mm -hmm. it a really, really fun piece of the movie, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause there is a point where he is interviewed (laughs) by, um, by grandpa vampire. Cause that's what he is. (laughs) Um, And uh, he says, uh, one of them is somehow able to talk and he's going to talk with us right now. Now, um, Creature, may I call you Creature? Yes, cool. Um, uh, Creature, uh, what is it that you want? Well, I think what we want, uh, Chuck, is uh, what everyone wants. Civilization. Um, and and like he does this whole thing about what he... Like, the, it's all perfectly written out, perfectly delivered by Tony Randall. It's like, now, see, here this... My, my friend here, uh, not civilized in any way, but nor am I, shoots him in the face with a gun. Now, was that civilized? No. No, fun, yes, but in no way civilized. civilized. Um, it's just, it's because <laughs> the whole thing is that he's smart, but he's also a gremlin, so he must make mischief. Um, of course. At least he can be, be erudite while he does it. Um, <laughs> there was another little gag in here. Leonard Malton, the, the, the very famous uh, movie critic, at, uh, very famously uh, at the time Gremlins 1 came out, panned it, hated it. Thought it was absolute dreck and one of the worst things that had ever happened in movies. So Joe Dante hired him to come on and do basically that review of Gremlins One and then be attacked and eaten by Gremlins in Gremlins Two. <laughs> I and didn't Leonard, know that. Leonard so Malton, Leonard Malton, to his credit, played along with the gag. But I did think it was very funny that that um, that they did that because that was uh, that was very funny. That is um, uh, there's a. Um, of course, also in this giant high rise, there is a movie theater that is uh, showing, I don't know, some Disney movie or something, right? Um, and uh, and the, the, the gremlins break into the, um, the projection booth and start showing a 1940s nudie pic. 
which is just bare-chested girls bouncing up and down playing volleyball, which was Amazing. the height of pornography in 1948. Um, and uh, and so they're showing that where they should be showing like you know cute little you know Benji Benji go home kind of stuff, right? Whatever. And um, so the 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 projectionist says, call the union, I quit. And he leaves, which is a wonderful thing to think of now, a union for projectionists existing in this day and age. Um, but anyway, uh, so 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 a, a mother from the theater is complaining to the head usher who goes, I will handle this. And he walks down and uh, it, like, here's the thing. Whatever Disney movie was playing, right, has switched to a 1940s nudie pick. Right. The only people who apparently have a problem with that is that mother and her daughter. Yeah, everybody else. Everyone else is just sitting there wrapped watching the screen, including Hulk Hogan, who is sitting there at (laughs) on the aisle, and the head usher walks up and says, Excuse me, Mr. Hogan. Uh yes, I'm sorry. Um I I I sorry to disturb you. We have gremlins in the production booth. Gremlins? Where, brother? And he turns around and looks up at the projection booth. And he does, he cuts a promo on the gremlins of production booth. Uh, do what does the hoaxster have to come up there? Does the hoaxster have to have to have to start a feud with the gremsters? <laughs> Significantly to- better than Santa with muscles. I still don't know <laughs> if Hulk Hogan knew what was going on, but it it worked great. It it was it was perfect. <laughs> Does uh, he says uh, he says uh, people come here to watch a movie? Pay, people pay good money to come here and 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 eat popcorn as he crushes that thing of popcorn and it flies everywhere uh, and watch a movie and they're not going to be stopped by the likes of you. Um, you have to come up there and then they switch it back and he goes and then he stops looking up at the projection booth and looks right at the camera and says, "Sorry, folks, it won't happen again." <laughs> so he breaks the fourth wall. I just. Like the only time that happens in the whole movie, and then it sits down, and so it's the idea that it was supposed to be um, our theater, also experiencing the technical difficulties, which it was. Like in if you watch it in the theater, the film looks like it breaks apart, right? And it's supposed to stay that way, and it did in the in the in the theaters for several seconds. On the home video, it's like a second, and then you see the, the shapes of the gremlins, right? But they were very upset. People were people. The, the studio was very concerned. People would get up and leave the theater if they thought the movie had actually collapsed, malfunctioned, like torn apart. <laughs> um, and uh, and like Joe's like, not going to do that. And test audiences actually loved this part because of the shadow puppets with the gremlins. It felt like it was part of the sh- the part of the show that they were actually being a part of. Oh, very Muppets. Um, yeah, in that yeah. way. So, yeah, yeah. That was the so, show but, inside but it's the so show. Funny the way that. The producer's like, oh, no, people will get up and leave our picture. In like, eight can't... seconds or whatever, yeah, too. Like, ridiculous. how fast do you even stand up? <laughs> I know, it's so dumb. Um, so all of that is happening. Daniel Clamp, oh, by the way, Daniel Clamp, there's a fantastic scene which makes him even more like Elon Musk. He's like, he just sits in his desk. <sighs> uh, hey, uh, Brenda, did you, did, you, um, did you shred those documents I gave you? I'm just finishing up now, sir. <sighs> okay. Uh, hey, hey, let's do some memos. Okay. Um, and he starts reading out what he wants her to type because he's an idiot. Um, and he's hey. We should also um, mention like the logo too for Clamp is oh yeah the flattened globe with mm-hmm. 
the he's sea. Crushing, and the, he's crushing the earth. Crushing with the earth, giant yeah. <laughs> he says, um, he's, he's trying, um, hey, um, will you tell the people in Chinatown uh, to do some spontaneous outpouring of thanks and gratitude for, for my tearing down all their buildings and building up better buildings? So instructs the people there to do an outpouring of a spontaneous gratitude. Correct. Is a perfect thing for a billionaire to say. Um, but anyway, um, uh, oh, a, a gremlin sneaks in and puts a mouse trap in the sandwich that Brenda is eating while she's working. Um, so he she hears the snap and walks out in there and sees the gremlin wearing Brenda's clothes. And then he fights with the gremlin and puts it through the paper shredder. And so he... This now is, is like also the tipping point where this movie just mostly turns into a bunch of gags. Oh, like, yeah. and it's it's fun because they earned it in the in the beginning of the movie. I feel like up until this point, mm-hmm. and then it kind of flips a little bit once once everybody started drinking their genetics. Uh, it mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of gets like very gag happy, but it, it does feel yeah. earned from from there mm-hmm. there out until we kind of get to the climax. Um. So, clamp. Um, is on board with Billy. Like he totally accepts that these things are creatures. They're here. He accepts all the rules. He's totally on board. Let's. How can I make myself the hero of this story? Is is where he now falls into this thing. We got to keep a lid on it. Make sure there's no media that gets wind of this. This can never get out. Um, uh, but I'm gonna go talk to them and make and placate them because they have a a plan. We got to set all the clocks in the building forward three hours to make them all think it's going to be sunset. And they'll all gather in the lobby because as soon as the sun goes down, they can leave the lobby and take over New York. So what you're going to do is put up a big barrier, like a a big banner, something that they can't see through outside the thing. And then when they're on the lobby, when it's still sunny out, you're going to drop the banner and they're all going to die. This is a fantastic, it's a wonderful plan. I'm going to be the hero. Um, so he has a secret exit that he uses uh, that is like some weird pneumatic does. tube that brings him up through a manhole cover uh, right outside the building. Yeah, the Cody Vader. He's got, a, he's got his own <laughs> Cody Vader. He's got a clamp of Vader. Okay, clamp um, He's got a clamp of Vader. Um, uh, but so he's trying to placate the um, <laughs> the, 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 the press. Like, um, uh, what's going on in there, sir? What do you think? I'm going to tell you what I always tell you, Sheila. I don't know. Which is <laughs> a wonderful thing. Which is so good. I'll say what I always tell you. I don't know. Um, uh, this, uh, by the way, I should mention uh, the uh, script written by Charlie Haas. Uh, no, no word if, uh, if there was a, 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 a dual credit for Shelton Benjamin. But, um, <laughs> but I, I did think that was very funny. That was Char- Charlie Haas. No, not the same one, surely. I, because I knew Hulk was in it. I was like, did they, I don't think Charlie Haas like carries the same weight as like a whole mm-hmm. Coke. I was like, was there a scene mm-hmm. in here where they fought? Like, nope. what nope. happened? But I did see that in the credits and left. No, nope. that was very <laughs> funny. Um, So this is where, oh, oh, by the way, uh, um, uh, Mohawk uh, drinks spider genetics and turns into a giant spider gremlin. Of course. Forget about that. Um, meanwhile, Gizmo has been being tortured on and off for the better part of the movie by these gremlins. Um, they tie him to a train track and run toy trains into him. 
all kinds of stuff, but he's able to escape. And earlier in the film, we saw him watching Rambo three and he thought it was the coolest thing ever. So when he escapes, he transforms himself into Rambo. He ties a little thing of red uh, cloth around his head as much as he can because of the ears. Um, And uh, he lifts weights and when I say lifts weights, he has one weight held above his head that can't have more than 10 pounds on it. And somehow he still falls through the floor. It's Again, it's a gag for the sake of being a gag, but it doesn't actually work in any way. Um, and then he fashions a bow and arrow out of a paperclip and a rubber band. And uh, then he sticks a bottle of whiteout on the end of a pencil to be his flaming arrow. And he is able to... Marla, by the way leaves her office. She's oblivious to this whole thing happening. Of course. And she walks out and she is caught in the spider web of Mohawk. And then um, uh, Phoebe Cates finds her and tries to extricate her from the web. They, they agree to have a truce or whatever. It's like, listen, okay, I did have designs on Billy, but I never got the first place, okay? Um, and, uh, and so she's so great. She she's so, so great. Funny. Uh, I did have designs on him, but I never got the first place. Uh, and so, um, they're trying to get him out, get her out of the web. And there comes evil Mohawk spider, um, who is ostensibly, he was the ringleader of the first gremlins that came, the first Mogwai that came out of Gizmo. He, there's the character of Stripe in the, in the first gremlins. And this is a version of that. And so you'd be forgiven to think this is the big bad. This is the, you can't, there's going to be one gremlin left at the end of this whole thing. They're going to have to face who didn't get killed by the big plan because that's what happened in the first one. And this is going to be that one that is that gremlin. No, because Gizmo comes out of the ventilation shaft, lights his little bottle of whiteout arrow on fire and just like this shoots it at the um <laughs> the, the mohawk spider who then bursts into flames because apparently spiders are very flammable Evidently. um and burns to death um this is when um uh billy shows up and um they find this is where he's reunited with gizmo and everything gizmo is now put in the bag and everything's fine um and uh and so that so it's that gizmo and phoebe cates and marla they're all together and they're uh, and and murray murray got into the building somehow as well um so they're all they're their little ragtag group of commandos that are going to take this whole thing so as is the as is the plan is going to perfectly all the gremlins have have arrived in the lobby and and they're minutes away from dropping the big because he put up a big a big uh sheet that has the night sky crudely painted on it and um his there's the fire chief walks up to Daniel Clamp who's standing there as they're raising a crane with the sheet on it right and the fire chief says hey Mr. Clamp what's going on here well don't you see um that we've set all the clocks in the building ahead three hours. All the gremlins are going to gather in the lobby and then we're going to drop the sheet and the sunlight's going to pour through the big windows and fry them. And, uh, and, 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 the, and the fire chief says, okay, sounds good. Like, he doesn't question that at all. Not a bit. Not at Not all. A bit. Just like, no, whatever you say goes, Mr. Clamp. Um, sure. And that's it. 
Um, but of course, there's a thunderstorm that brews and the sunlight goes behind a very dark cloud and there's no sunlight to come through. Now, obviously, sunlight is sunlight. Right. So, like, there's still the UV rays are penetrating. It should be able to kill a few of them anyway, but we won't go into that. Um, so, oh, I should mention also this. I forgot about this. I don't know how I forgot about this. In the, in the genetics lab, there is um, a, uh, apparently, a, um, a, a, a beaker of, of, of potion that if you are a lady, it turns you into a dude, and if you are a dude, it turns you into a lady. Now, crucially, gremlins are asexual. Right. They do not require any kind of intercourse to no gestation period. They do no, they, just water. they, they just reproduce water. asexually. They're they are not men or women or anything. But this particular gremlin drinks the potion and becomes a very sexy lady gremlin. Like it's huge it's got boobs. Huge boobs. Very perfectly toned calves in high heels, huge long lips. green luscious hair, collagen infused lips, amazing, big, big fluttery eyelashes, and it immediately has designs on Robert Picardo, who plays uh, Forster, the um, the security chief, and chases him like like Miss Piggy chasing Kermit the Frog, um, <laughs> or. Oh, <laughs> Uh, th- through the whole building, right? Now, we, we, this happened, I don't know, 20 minutes before this next scene I'm going to describe. So you'd be, you'd be uh, forgiven for thinking that he got away, right. or she had her way with him and then left, or whatever, right? Because in this next scene, there is a full-on musical number of the brain uh, gremlins singing New York, New York. Okay? Um, if I can make, make it there, that. I'll make it anywhere. Um, and then they cut from that part of the musical number to um, Rhapsody in Blue. Dun, 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 dun. You've you've heard that song oh. in commercials and everywhere for for years and years and years. Anyway. They there's a whole thing what's apparently the gremlins. So again, again, it 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 holds up to zero scrutiny, but it doesn't have to because it's a parody. The apparently the gremlins have put together a giant um printed cutout face of the lady gremlin, and they've they've put they've cut it up into perfect hexagons so they can hold it up above their heads so the, the shot that goes down below and then they can move it in a really fun little wave thing and then one of them will spiral open and up from below will be the, <laughs> the lady gremlin who's just standing there looking fetching. Um, it, is, it is entirely ridiculous and very funny. And you think, oh, okay, well, then everyone, all the, all the bad guys are in the lobby. Um, so let's... Um, Let's do it. Let's 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 light them up. Let's light them on fire. Uh, can't do that though. But earlier, somehow, Peltzer was able to put the electricity gremlin, trap it in the phone system on hold. Okay, I don't know how he did it. it. Doesn't make any sense to me either. Parody. It doesn't have to. But they are. They he tells Murray Fetterman to take a giant hose a fire hose and point it at all the gremlins and 
douse them with with water. And Murray Futterman goes, you're nuts. And he says, trust me. Okay. The, the, you can't go from you're nuts. This is obviously not going to work, too. Trust me. Sure, All whatever right. you say. All right. <laughs> There's got to be some... You have to explain to me your process here before I agree to do this thing. Or create um, that urgency where he can't. Right, right. L- like, it wasn't, it wasn't that no. urgent. No. Um, so he... Uh, he he does. He wet, he wets them all down with the with the hose, and uh, um, Phoebe Cates is able to transfer the the call the the call from Clamp's office up there to the lobby, and then he Billy holds the phone receiver out toward the lobby, and the electricity gremlin vaults from within the phone. And bounces around all of the very freshly wet gremlins, thus electrocuting all of all them. them. <laughs> and they all uh, they all die, including the brain gremlin who is able, while dying, to to wheeze out. Um. Oh, I forgot. Also, uh, one of the gremlins is the Wicked Witch of the West. Uh, they pan to it, and <laughs> it's right. wearing a witch hat, and goes, "I'm melting, melting, melting. What a world, what a world." Um, uh, this, by the way, all of this is being recorded and uh and broadcast live over the Clamp News Network by Grandpa Vampire and his J- Japanese tourist stereotype cameraman. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, they're being they're recording it from inside giant trash cans, like the the trash cans, like at McDonald's that you put the tray into and dip everything into. Ridiculous. Um, uh, Daniel Clamp, right after this happens, busts through the front door with a with a SWAT team. He is in himself in full SWAT regalia, so good. with a with with an AR fifteen style rifle. Um, and so they came in. I guess they were going to shoot all of them, but they didn't have to because uh, they're all dead, electrocuted in a big puddle of green goop. Um, this is where Daniel Clamp um, uh, decides to make uh, uh, Billy president of design or whatever. Uh, and his decide also he sees Marla without her glasses for the first time and falls instantly in love with her because of course he does. Um, oh, he sees he sees Gizmo. And Billy's fine with him seeing Gizmo because he's like, you know what I see when I look at him? Uh, little suction cup dolls on the in, inside of passenger windows, <laughs> which was actually a bestseller for them. Um, you can still buy them on eBay. You can you can still buy the little 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 suction cup Gizmos. And I thought about buying one just to have as a prop to be like, see, you can buy one, but they were too expensive. Um, uh, yeah, I I um, this was all very nicely wrapped up in a neat little package until the final scene where the the again the the sexy lady gremlin was in the lobby yes doing her part of the musical number correct right before she was doused with water but apparently she wasn't she left after doing her part of the musical number to go back up to uh to the, to the to the bathroom on on a higher floor where she had locked up uh, Forrester, the head of security, who has uh, lipstick all over his face and he's all disheveled. He's been, uh, he's, he's got his, his pants, his pants are unbuckled. It's not a good sign. Uh, and she is in a full wedding dress and has decided <laughs> she is going to marry him. 
and 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 he he tries to back away as far as he possibly can. And she keeps getting closer and closer, making kissy faces faces at him. And the camera goes to him, and he goes. Well. <laughs> 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 he, he's like, well, you know what? I mean, she's kind of hot for a gremlin. She's a, she's a sexy gremlin. You know, uh, so <sighs> so there's there's the end of Gremlins two, the new batch. It's um, so funny. It's such a funny thing to end on because, like, of course you would end on yeah the romance. I don't or I don't like know the opening I, to uh, you know what I mean. If like it, it can't something that is making fun of sequels is hard cannot end on a resolved note. It has to mm. end on something that is that exactly that perfectly like silly and open. So now Robert Picardo in Gremlins Three is the main character who is on the run uh, from uh, the, the authorities with his gremlin wife, whom he loves very much and has uh, made had several kids with. Of course. Um, and um, uh, she's she's trying to make sure she's she's a uh, she can become a legal citizen of America. But first, he's got to get her her green card. Hey, nailed it. Um, yeah. So uh, it is very funny that they turned uh, what is apparently like um, interspecies rape by by the by the sexy female gremlin. Of Robert Ricardo into a heartwarming story where he makes she makes an honest man out of him, like so nice, you know. Uh, it's good. Um, uh, yeah, it's I, I I don't think we missed anything big. Uh, that's 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 it. Like it is. Well, there's not really anything big to miss, right? Uh, in 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 the full movie outside of those plot points because it is gag heavy, but in a really really great way, like. It's so much fun. I'm I'm keeping the flick. Um, definitely watch it if you are into kind of the comedy that Alex referenced before of A, the self-referential stuff, and B, like, Police Academy, Naked Gun, uh, Airplane-type-esque movies, because there's a lot of those beats of humor in here. But this was so fun um, in that I don't know if I've ever seen a movie in admit so much that it's an unnecessary sequel and i think more should <laughs> yes um I, I i forgot here now one of the one of the storylines that was considered was to send them to las vegas uh another was to send them to the planet mars so i'm glad that they decided to do this because those would have been a no, little was perfect little, vegas would have been all right i think but new york was perfect yeah this is good um yeah, uh, <laughs> he received a budget triple that of the original film. He could. He, <laughs> God, that's why that he holster, did it. That holster he, money, bro. Oh man, he just decided to do whatever the hell he wanted. I love. How it. did this? Um, I didn't actually see that. How did this do it? Like the box office? It was a, it was a flop. It, it, uh, really? It, yeah. The, the the it it the but there the estimates are fifty million dollar budget. Box office, forty-one million. Ooh, so didn't okay. make its money back. Took a loss. Um, but it 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 has gained all kinds of um, uh, acclaim, cult after. status. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, uh, one of the big reasons was a few years ago the amazing Key and Peele sketch. Oh um, my gosh, so great uh, that that people like who did who did not know such a movie existed thought that everything that 
that Jordan Peele was talking about in that sketch was fake and no every every well there's at the end of the sketch they have to put this everything in this sketch actually happened in the movie and it is it is when when of course when it's somebody as brilliant as Keen Peel who put it together the way that they that they describe everything is perfect so perfect if you have never seen the sketch it's it's very go, easily go googleable it it's so 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 great um yeah yeah. Keeping the flick. Oh yeah. Um, free to watch on HBO Max and Amazon Prime if those are included. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just if if you're into that kind of stuff, this is great. And if you're not, what's wrong with you? You should be. <laughs> I would say there are a lot of people who 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 know of who of the of the first one have seen the first one maybe multiple times who haven't yeah. seen the second one. Worth and, definitely definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. It is it is one of those. Oh, I forgot to mention. <laughs> uh um I, I forget somebody somebody in the in the movie brings up Abraham Lincoln. I don't know why. Somebody brings up Abraham Lincoln. And Phoebe Case says, Oh, don't mention Lincoln. The worst thing ever ever happened to be on Lincoln's birthday. And she launches into a parody of the monologue from the first film. <laughs> And it's and everyone's like, oh god, not this again. Oh, Even Billy's like, honey, honey, we don't we don't have we don't have time for this, honey. Like it's it's like no, I was I was walking home from school and uh, uh, a guy a guy came came out of the woods and wearing a trench coat and a top hat with a fake beard and like like she was flashed by some guy when she was eight years old. And uh, um, it was it's just it was it's it's such a perfect parody. Of the first movie's like most famous scene, and Phoebe Cates commits so hard to the bit. It's it's oh, I can't believe I for, almost forgot to mention it. It is such a such a great little scene. Watch the first the, the first uh, monologue, which is easily found as a scene on on YouTube, and then watch this monologue. It's just Phoebe Cates making fun of herself, and it's so, so oh, I love when I love when She's actors great. are sports about that kind of stuff. Yes, it was so great. Loved it. Yes, loved it. This is one of those things that I, uh, I always forget because it's all. It always a couple of years will always go by unfailingly between viewings of this or even parts of it, and I'll, I'm always amazed by how funny it is. It's great. Like I, I can't do. I can't remember. I should have wrote down some of the things that the intercom guy says at certain points, <laughs> like the 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 uh, elevator doors. Um, they're not elevator doors. Uh, there's revolving doors that are automatic and they always malfunction. And at one point, uh, Billy and and Phoebe Cates are walking through one of the regular doors as a team of maintenance guys try are trying to get you like use the jaws of life to get a woman out of these revolving doors. And like the revolving doors are there for your protection. However, right now they are not in use. Like yeah. it's just this, <laughs> like that kind of a thing. But there's this other one like um, uh, uh, attention, attention. Uh, the electrical systems in the building are malfunctioning. Please try not to notice. Like just the most like sweeping under the rug bullshit. Ah, oh, God, it's so much. It's so much fun. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really wholeheartedly uh, recommend it. If you have not seen it, and even if you have, it's probably been too long. Watch Dust it. Dust off. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, thank you for your patience in this coming a few days after it normally yes. would. We had some stuff happen last week, but we're back on schedule ish. We'll talk uh, more the next time. I don't know what we're going to 
yeah, probably who knows. Uh, but until then, we'll, we'll tell you whether or not we want to get the flick out of here. Bye, everybody. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.